No, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she went and stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. There was a bagpiper in, the, in Kentucky who was asked by a funeral director to come and play the bagpipes for a man who had passed away. The man was homeless didn't know anybody. There was apparently no one really going to come to this service. And so the bagpiper decided he would take part in the service. He was not familiar with the backwoods of Kentucky, and so he he took his bagpipes, put them in the car, and started to drive to find this graveyard to play the bagpipes um, at this graveside. But he got lost, could not find where he was going, and through up and down the Kentucky hills he went until finally... He found the graveyard and saw some men there that were digging and all dirty. Apparently, he had missed the whole event. He ran quickly over with his bagpipes, looked in the hole, saw, yes, that they were already beginning to fill the hole. Said, I'm sorry that I'm late. And he began to warm up the pipes and played with great emotion, feeling sorry for being bad and emotional for this man who'd been laid in the grave alone. 
And he played Amazing Grace with all the emotion and all the spirit that he could. And he began to weep as he played. And the men, the three workers next to him, began to weep. And he let that last note linger for a little while and then stopped. Kind of paused solemnly, feeling pretty good, feeling content. His heart was full. Began to walk over to his car and he heard one of the workers say, I've never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) True story, in 2006, there was a woman, Herzland, she was 64 years old in Austria, and uh, she went into the to the hospital with, with uh, some kind of condition right before Christmas and was surprised when nobody came to visit her over the holiday weekend. But the next, uh, right after the holiday weekend, she got out of the hospital and went home to uh, find her family all at her house. And as she walked in the room, they began screaming and jumping up and down, running all over the place. They were all dressed in black and they were all planning her funeral. Apparently, her son had gone to the hospital to visit her at Christmas and mistakenly been told by the nurse that she had passed away. The family had been in mourning over the holidays, were frustrated that they could not pay their last respects because they did not have the body there, but were planning that funeral. Imagine being the woman that walked in on your own funeral being planned, or worse, being the family member's planning the funeral of the woman that just walked in. True story. If you came today looking for a Jesus who was mistaken for dead, you've come to the wrong place. If you've come about a Jesus who, whose body was stolen or who was buried in a different tomb, then you have come to the wrong place. Today we celebrate a Jesus who actually lived who actually died on the cross, was buried, and on the Thursday, on the third day, walked up out of that grave. This is not a metaphor, it's not a children's story. For us, it is critical that this is an actual event. Because if Jesus did not come back from the dead, Christianity makes no sense. There is no Christianity without a resurrection. The whole thing rises and falls on this very day. Listen to these strong words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then even then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. For Paul, this is not a negotiable day. The resurrection happened. And if Christ is not resurrected, then he and the churches he started are fools and should be pitied because they are so foolish. 
The faith means nothing without a resurrection. Paul gives two things that are not true if Christ didn't rise from the dead. And we see here what Paul thinks the resurrection accomplishes. In my sermon series for Lent, I've been talking about what does the cross accomplish? We've been talking about all the different metaphors, all the different images that uh, the Bible uses for what Jesus does on the cross. But the Bible is surprisingly not that interested. It doesn't talk that much about what happens at the resurrection. But it is the most important thing. I mean, when, when the faith, when people are, are, uh, are defined as a people in the first century as Christians, they're, de- they're defined by this day, this resurrection. So what does Paul say that, this, that, that if there's no resurrection, he says two things. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus does not rise from the dead, then you've got problems. Let's unpack these in the opposite order that Paul gives them. First, Paul says, no resurrection, you're still in your sin. See, Jesus does a ton on the cross for us. Pays for our sin. He undoes death. He wins your freedom from sin. Think about all the biblical images. And if if you've been here at church, we've we've been unpacking these. He's the blood sacrifice that pays for our sin. <clears throat> he is the redeemer that pays for your ransom. He is the judge who is judged for you. He is your substitute on the cross. He retells the story of humanity on that cross. And when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. He's not just talking about his life. He's talking about a whole bunch of other stuff that he came to do and he came to take on on that cross. When he says it is finished, he means a lot of stuff is finished. The cross pays for all that. But if Jesus stays dead, then there's still a lot in question, right? If Jesus stays dead, how can we say that he defeated death? It looks like death defeated him. How can he stay in a grave and call himself master of the graves? The resurrection marks the completion of this work. All that stuff Jesus does on the cross is completed. It's fulfilled. It is finished when he rises from the dead. It is the amen. It is the swinging of the judge's gavel. And it also proves the power of God to defeat sin. How can we believe in a God who can defeat sin if he is defeated by death? We need that power. That's the kind of power that we need. The eternal consequences of sin are still piling upon us if Jesus stays in that tomb. If Jesus stays in that tomb, then we are eternally in that tomb with him. We are stuck there with him. If Christ is not risen, then you and I are still in our sin. And second, if Christ is not risen, our faith is futile. There are consequences for the resurrection, not just in the world to come, but in this earth, on this reality, in our lifetimes. The Bible has different ways to talk about this. One of the most powerful ones is that we're reborn. We're reborn. And we, we miss this, some of us as Presbyterians, when we, when we do baptism the way we do. We tend, for order and convenience, to like to baptize with just sprinkling water. Um, we do that with adults too, but, but in baptism, traditionally, you're submerged. And in fact, as Presbyterians, we can do that. We just don't have the capacity to do that most of the time. You go under, you understand? The metaphor is you go under as one person, 
and you are drowned and you are in the grave with Christ. And when you come up, you come up anew. In fact, in the early church, when you were baptized, you often changed your name or you took on a Christian name. Why? Because the old you is dead and the new one has come. That is an important piece of our faith that we are made new in this world. And if Christ is not resurrected, that image has no meaning. We stay beneath the waters. We never plunge out into freedom. Not only that, but we are given hope of new life after death. Paul calls Jesus in this same chapter in 1 Corinthians the first fruit of our faith. And I I dealt with this in the earlier sermon. But today is actually a Jewish holiday. Most people don't know this. This is the day of first fruits. This is the day that marks the festival of weeks. Um, where if you were a farmer, you would, as soon as you had your first group of crops from the harvest, and we miss out on this because we don't have harvest for a long time, but in Israel, this is a harvest season, okay? And so what you would do is if you, were, if you had grain, you would gather the first fruits of your grain, and you would bundle them together into a sheaf, and you would take them into Jerusalem on this very day, Right after Passover, the first day you were allowed to do this. And you would wave your sheaf in the air, your first fruits in the air. And there would be singing and celebration as you entered Jerusalem. And then you would go to the priest and the priest would wave your sheaf around the altar and there would be singing and dancing. And you would, you would read from the book of Ruth because Ruth is, is written at a time of harvest, right? The whole story happens at harvest. And uh, Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. And David was believed to have both been born and died on this very day, the festival of fruits. Now, in the Bible, what Jewish tradition says, this this is David's birthday and this is David's day of death. This was a special day. Imagine Jesus being resurrected on the day of first fruits. For Paul, he believes that Jesus is just the start of something. He's the first fruit of many more to rise. Those who have been lost before us. Those who are lost lost in the Lord. People who have died that we will one day be in relationship with again. Why? Because resurrection started today. Because today was the first fruit of that. And if Jesus isn't really risen... If he's still in the tomb, what hope do we have of rising again someday? What hope do we have of seeing our loved ones again? Our faith is futile if this didn't happen. The Bible uses all very strange language. Um, For those who are not of the Lord, they use the word dead. But normally for for the Christians, for the Jews, for the people of the faith, you know what the word the Bible uses? Sleeping. Those who have died, died are not dead. They've gone to sleep. And we can only believe in that if there's a resurrection. If Easter really happened, then this changes everything. A crucified Jesus might be a really good example. Man, look at that love that Jesus has. That self-sacrificing love. But a risen Christ? A risen Christ is Lord. A risen Christ means I've got to take a look at my own life in a little different way. The one who is master of death becomes ruler of our lives. And if this Christ is risen and at work in us, if that same Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is in this room, I don't have a lot of power then, do I? Changes your priorities, your motives, your decisions, 
how you raise your kids, how you go to work, how you treat your spouse. If Christ is risen, then you can rise. Rise out of your problems, your habits, your addictions, your shame, your guilt, your doubt. You're not stuck. No matter what you've been through, no matter what's been done to you, you are not stuck in the grave of that after today. Now we have problems with this story. Some of us have problems with this story because we're skeptical. How could this story be true? How could these stories about Jesus, maybe he wasn't really dead, maybe someone stole the body, or it was the wrong tomb. These excuses have been made since the Bible times because the uh, Jewish leadership is trying to make them right in the text. I've studied, I think there's plenty of good reason to believe this story to be true. And if you've got a lot of doubts, I'd love to talk to you about it and point you to some resources to help you think about this day. I believe the thing that makes the most sense of all the data and all the information we have is that Christ really did rise from the dead. Particularly when you see these disciples who are scattered and afraid, who end up, most of them, dying, believing that Christ had risen from the dead. They did not fake that. Some of us don't want to believe this story because we deep down know how much it will cost us to believe it. We're willing to believe in miracles and supernatural things, but, but it's a lot easier to believe that Jesus is not alive because I can generally ignore a Jesus that's not alive. But a Jesus that's, Jesus that's risen, I have to submit to that Jesus. And here's the worst part. The worst part is a lot of us who are Christians who say we believe it, and then we go out the rest of our week and live as if it's not true. We are the functional doubters. No, no, no. This is an important day. This is the day that defines us as Christians and as people. If there's no resurrection, we're still in our sins. Our faith is futile. If today didn't happen, then it's stupid to be here. It's silly to give up your morning to celebrate an event that did not happen. And if you take the resurrection out of Christianity, you take the heart out of it. It can't be Christianity anymore. But if today is real, and the tomb really is empty, and Jesus really is alive, well, that changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us, each and every person here, from the atheist to the devout Christian and everybody in between, to move a little closer to believing a little closer to accepting, a little closer to living the resurrection. Amen.